Welcome back to the UW Film Club podcast, a podcast where one of our members each week brings a film that they would like to discuss to the table. I am Sierra, and this week with me I have... Louis uh, and Greg. And our film this week is my pick, uh, When Harry Met Sally, which is my favorite film of all time. <laughs> um, I'm not necessarily saying it's the best film of all time. I tend to like films that are comforting and rewatchable, um, which When Harry Met Sally certainly is. Um, but this movie has had such a profound impact on my life, uh, positive and negative. It's very much a part of the fabric of how my brain works. Um, and for a while, it was a large part of how I perceived my relationships with people. Not so much anymore, um, but I, I've, I've managed to sort of mitigate its influence on my life. Um, but I wanted to bring it to the table to discuss because I think it is a really interesting film and a very good example of um, a sort of genre of film that is kind of underlooked for its cinematic merit, uh, which is the romantic comedy. Which, to be fair, there are a lot of real stinkers, but <laughs> When Harry Met Sally is not one of those. Yeah, for me, like personally, I really love the romantic comedy genre. I don't know why it gets so much hate. Like, there's a lot of good stuff there, mm -hmm. but I feel like everyone just looks at the really popular ones and and trashes the whole genre because then it's a common theme with like a lot of things you know like horror horror in particular there's a lot of trash so, in there yeah. there is but it's still like a great genre when it's done when yeah. it's done right i think the thing about genre films that people are so um against is that they make use of a lot of uh sort of similar conventions um and i think that when done poorly it's a very bad movie um but when used well and when explored complexly, I think it can really lead to a fantastic movie like with When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> um, so first I wanted to start with your guys' thoughts. I know you've both seen it before because I uh, strongly encouraged that we show it at club last year. And won the vote, right? Yeah, it won the it won vote. vote. It won the vote. Yeah. I like to think through my influence and it your guys' love I, for me. I, I voted for that just because of you. God bless. So. Said interference. Like I was gonna vote. I think I was gonna vote for something else. I think there hey, was. Hey, you're allowed to campaign. Um, I can't. What were you? you are. I can't even remember options. I voted. When Harry Met Sally was the only option. I'm pretty sure I voted for Roman Holiday and he got well, like three votes. You're yeah, bastard, Greg. Yeah, we all knew that. That, that was not gonna happen. I, I was glad that didn't. <laughs> this, happen. to clarify, was our Valentine's Day voting week last year at club. Um, I like this one a lot because it's got Mike Wazowski in it. It does have Mike Wazowski. Infamous Mike Wazowski. You got that Rob Reiner action, that Nora Ephron script, and uh, that uh, Carrie Fisher. May, I, may she rest in peace, our princess in general. Yeah. Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher is lovely in this movie. She is. Um, I love uh, Meg Ryan in this film. Meg I, Ryan is so good in I this. I love Meg Ryan as an actress. Actually. Yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Um, but, and I really like this film, like 100% love this movie. But I don't think it's her best film. We can't get into this. I can't get into the <laughs> You Got Mail when Harry and Sally fight. It's better. You Got it's Mail not, is better. It's objectively there's, a worse there's, movie. There's Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle is in You Got <laughs> okay, Mail. Okay, I'll give you that this is like the whitest movie in the whole, whole world. There's like four people of color in it. Two of them are service people. Uh, two of them are kind of like a semi-racist caricature of a like Asian couple. It, that it's intensely problematic in that way. Don't get me wrong, um, but I, I I I love it despite that. It's, I can it's, see its flaws and stuff. That's not like my main concern with it, to be honest. Like What's your I concern? just I just love 
Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan on screen together. And I know there's, you know, a lot of people who think that they don't have chemistry. That's and like when I, I see that. when I see Sleepless in Seattle, I get that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, in that movie, they don't. To be fair, Sleepless in Seattle, they barely interact. Exactly. So like that's why I was yeah. like, what is this movie? This is this doesn't make sense. I really did not enjoy that movie, even though it's set in Seattle and I love Seattle. Uh, but with You Got Mail, there's like both of them relate to each other and. And that's, you know, they have, like, real common interests, and it's very nice seeing them get together. Yeah, even though they aren't necessarily... It's actually, they're, they aren't together much in that movie either. Yeah. But you see them communicating despite that. Exactly. Um, anyway, this is not about You've Got Mail. This is about When Harry Met Sally. I wanted to talk a little bit about the creative team um, behind this movie. Uh, as Greg mentioned earlier, it was directed by Rob Reiner, who's a really wonderful director. Don't get me wrong, he's directed some real garbage as well, but he's directed really great films uh, like This is Spinal Tap and The Princess Bride. Um, he worked closely with Nora Ephron on a number of projects. Uh, Nora Ephron is the screenwriter, um, who is a brilliant screenwriter, much lauded she for her romantic brilliant. comedies. Brilliant. Um, she was also, uh, she wrote like personal essays and uh, she was a journalist. She was a, uh, actually a trailblazing journalist uh, for women in, in journalism. Um, I think she was, I can't remember exactly, but I think she was the, like the first uh, female reporter to be credentialed by some major publication in New York. I can't remember which one. Um, it's very cool. She's part of, what's the Amazon series about like uh, women who are in journalism? It, there's a oh, thing. Yeah, it is there. I, I can't remember this, what I, it is. Is this the one that won the Emmy? I think I'm probably. No, no, no. That's no, the, by the Gilmore that. Girls creator, which I'm actually happy to talk about, but that's a TV show, not film. I don't know. These, these streaming services need to cut back on the quantity. <laughs> we can't get into this. Um, anyway, uh, Nora Ephron was lovely for this film in particular. She was uh, much lauded. Um, she was nominated for a screenwriting Oscar. Um, as she was two other times, and then she also won a BAFTA for screenwriting for this film. Um, she passed away, unfortunately, uh, just a few years ago, actually. 2012? 2012, yeah, from complications from um, cancer, uh, from leukemia. Um, and I just want to plug real quick, there's a really lovely little documentary about her life and her work uh, that was made by her son, um, and it came out in 2015. It's called Everything is Copy. Uh, it's very short and lovely to watch, and I highly recommend it. Um, but anyway, let's get into when Harry got Sally. Uh, opens. We got that jazzy opening. Yeah. Credits. What do you guys think of the music in this movie? Well, they, the music comes back. And it's yeah, good. it does. Oh, it's not like a light motif, but it's a... They, it's a, a kind of a heavy-handed motif. Yeah. <laughs> I like jazz, so... Jazz is great. So, you know. Um, yeah. They jazz often... soundtracks are amazing. In this movie, for rather than composing a lot of original music for it, they opted for some old standards um, from Louis Armstrong, from Frank Sinatra. I think there's an Ella Fitzgerald song in here. Um, and then a lot of the, them were covered by Harry Connick Jr. Um, um, well, they, they come back in like, uh, you say either, I say either. And then it plays at the end over the credits. Yeah, and then throughout the movie, there's um, like piano covers of them, just sort of lightly playing as though they're score, but really they're just like reprises. Mm-hmm. Um, which and is, and one of the things about this film is this, the coming back to similar things over time, yeah. the passage of time, and how notions change, characters change, uh, but love, love works in weird, <laughs> yeah, love works in weird ways, yeah, and that leads into the I, antidotes, yeah, 
The, the anecdotes? Oh, you're talking about the interviews? The interviews. Yeah. The Sherlock anecdotes. There's seven of them. If you can include Harry and Sally's at the end. Yes. So these are actually the process that, by which they got to these are pretty interesting. Um, Rob Reiner originally wanted. I okay. Full disclosure. I own like the special features special edition DVD, and I was watching the like uh, commentary over the film with Rob Reiner, um, Billy Crystal, and Nora Ephron. And Rob Reiner was talking about how he initially wanted to include real interviews with real couples, um, but real people don't tell their stories in like a especially punchy and funny way, especially if they're elderly. Yeah, these are, are these real couples. Sorry. So no. So I'm going to answer that. They're based on real interviews that they conducted, but then Nora Ephron took those stories and like rewrote them so they were funnier and, and shorter. Okay. Um, so sort of is the answer to that question. Because yeah, um, when I was watching them, these are. Surely scripted. Yes, they are. Uh, they got actors to sort of recreate them. Mm -hmm. uh, they kind of line up with what's going to take place in the following sequence. In what way? The one where they're born in the same hospital, coincidence and chance. I love that one. It's what? lovely. I love in that one, that's where they're overlapping with each other, right? The, I think it the happens. The man and the woman. They're talking about like, yeah. all the times where they like almost met and, and then they, met they the finally elevator. met in the elevator. Yeah. Um, but then it, it's like it lines up with what was happening on screen, which is Harry and Sally are just getting together by chance yeah. over and over again. They happen to meet again and again. Yeah. Just five years later, they meet by chance. Yeah. Um, or I can't remember. This one in particular could be positioned weirdly if my memory serves me right. It could be the one right before. Harry sees his divorced wife again. No, that's later on in the film. You're, I think you're, are you talking about when they meet in the bookstore? No, in the, like the Brookstone. That's Remember the Brookstone where they're buying the karaoke and then he meets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, where he happens to run into his wife, you mean? His prior, his divorced yeah, wife. Yeah, his ex-wife. Who's not remarried and he has like an existential yeah. crisis. Yes, he does. Um, he's had this line uh, after that scene where it's like, uh, you know, in the city of eight million people, you're bound to run into your ex-wife, which is kind of, it's like a, a joke, but it's also like sort of a self-reflexive joke about how they like keep meeting by chance in New York, which is like so many people and it's so unlikely that they would run into each other. Mm -hmm. And all these, like, all these anecdotes play into each other, like the moan of knowing. That was the one when um, the guy asks the woman, he goes across the dance floor and asks her to dance. Yeah. Like the and, moment of knowing yeah. is also a thing that comes up. So these anecdotes are playing into what's happening or what's going to happen in the in the movie. Yeah, that's the one where the woman is like, in that moment I knew. I knew the way you know about a good melon. Which is, I think one of the really fun things about this movie um, is there are a lot of like funny, like underappreciated lines. Like I love the good melon line. So yeah, I just, one question about yeah. the good melon line. Does anyone actually know how to tell a good melon yes you tap it and if it sounds if it sounds hollow then it's good i just buy the one that looks the freshest <laughs> no i like because I've, I've seen a lot of people just tap and when i yeah. when they tap it just sounds the same <laughs> like all of them sound the same so yeah i can't remember if hollow is good or hollow is bad but something about a hollow sound hollow is bad because there's more seeds in it right you i don't know i don't know melon. i've never purchased a watermelon on my own uh it's always been purchased they, they for all, me they all sound the same to me um, yeah, there are a lot of lines that I really love in this movie. Um, and then there are a lot of lines that, like, as I mentioned earlier, are just, like, part of the way I think. Like, um, whenever anything is closed on a Sunday, I say it's because of God. And that's from this movie. That's from when she's talking about the days of the week underpants. Or, um, like, the voice they do in Central Park, the, like, 
would you like to partake of my pecan pie voice? Is something that like happens in my brain. Like that voice will just come up and say things. Um, that's all I got on that. But yeah, I, this movie, it's hard for me to look at it sort of in an objective, critical way because it's like part of me, if that makes sense. No, it does. It's, it's kind of like how I am with Drive. Hmm. Just love that movie. And like a lot of the, you know, quotable lines just come up in my head all the time. Yeah. And I try my best not to just say them out loud. So I kind of understand. How do you guys feel about the premise of the movie? This line that Harry has while they're in the car on the road trip at the uh, beginning the where he's like, men and women can't be friends, friends because the sex thing isn't, always gets in Isn't that just like the, the basis of friends wow. as well? The basis of friends like the TV show? The TV show. I, I guess, although men and women are friends in that show without sex. Yeah, yeah no, but that's like also the question. You know, it's there too, and I think it's like a rejection of the... Or when, in this one, Harry I don't know, I, I guess like in this one, in When Harry Met Sally, uh, the answer isn't as simple, yes yeah. or no, you know, because they are friends. Yeah, I, I've always struggled with this. But they're also this. in a relationship. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's not, I don't think it's They do fall exclusive. in love. Like, yeah. it seems like they prove Harry right, where he's like, men and women can't be friends because the sex thing always gets in the way, and in the end, they end up getting together. Yeah. Um, and this is a question that I've struggled with because I, I like, definitely object to that premise. I think it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, and of course this was written, what, almost 30 years, 30 years ago. ago? Yeah, um, and it's definitely got a more sort of like traditional understanding of gender roles and the relationships between men and women and gender itself actually. Um, like it's obviously sees it as totally binary, which we don't necessarily yeah. in this day and age. Um, but I was trying to put it into words on this in this rewatch why I think that that's not true um, in this movie in particular, and I think it's really useful to focus on Harry as a character and like what makes him think that. Um, and I think that something about him is the way he understands his relationships with women is exclusively through sex. Um, like he talks about how he's never had a relationship with a woman that didn't involve sex, and he thinks that like the way that Sally can move on from her previous relationship is by sleeping with someone else, and Throughout this friendship that he has with her, he comes to understand that you can have relationships with women that aren't solely based around sex. Yeah. And he comes to appreciate her for who she is as a person and all the little things about her. Um, and so I think in the end, while they do get together, it's not because of sex. And so in that way, he's not proven right. Yeah, no, uh, agreed. 100% agree to everything you just said. <laughs> I think a lot about this movie, you guys. I, mean, it's, I have a lot going yeah, no, on it, in my brain about it. <laughs> um, actually, we're, we're sort of scrolling through the movie as we're recording this. This actor, um, I can't remember his name, but he's the son of Steve President Ford. Gerald Ford. <laughs> wow. Just a fun okay, fact. So preface this. Uh, Sierra's talking about the scene in the airport. The With second Joe. sequence. Yeah, her, her Joe. boyfriend Joe. Um, the, son of, the son just, of a president. Billy Crystal just saw Meg Ryan making out with Joe, Stephen, with Joe, who yeah. is Stephen Ford, who is the son of aforementioned yeah. President Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford. Yeah. Um, for me, my favorite part of this movie is just how love develops over the years. I think it's it's that is the the friendship aspect is one narrative or one component of the overall condition of love. Yeah. So we have, later on he talks about knowing when or the betrayal of um, 
like spending years with this person and then all of a sudden he um meg ryan's former husband or marries the secretary yeah because they were never married which is the yeah. main like point of contention in so it, it's consolidating a bunch of different elements of what love is and yeah. how it moves and how it works yeah it tells a lot of one movie different stories about love like although the main story is about harry and sally we also get the story about um jess and marie um which is my favorite it's lovely jess and marie are incredible that um, wagon wheel is pretty ugly the, it was incredibly ugly i think i think it could have tastefully worked but not in that part no i think not. you would need a sort of a more rustic aesthetic for yes. that to work um, a there's mission this... style, mission <laughs> style perhaps. There's this line um, that Jess says to Marie after that, first of all, phenomenal scene where there's a four-way phone call and it's like so well choreographed. Synced up. Um, where she's like exhaustedly laying down and she's like, tell me I'll never have to be out there again. And he puts his arm around her and he's like, you will never have to be out there again. Um, and it's such a convincing moment of like love between these two people. Like their relationship, I totally 100% buy in every way. Mm. It's so lovely and genuine. And that sequence works particularly well because the, earlier on you have them watching Casablanca on the same television screen. And in that case, uh, it's just a split screen with both of them on it, right? Yeah. And in that one, and then the later one with Jess and Marie, you have them working as intermediaries. Like they're the, um, the picture in picture image yeah. of both uh, Harry and Sally are on opposing sides. Harry and Sally are separate, just and now they're, together. And they're working as the intermediaries. Yeah. And now it's a visual technique of how, um, again, a recurring idea is presented again in a different light. So in this case, it's just the phone call being used again. Yeah. Um, but now it takes on a different meaning. And that's and that the that's another part I like this one was things just keep recurring. So you have that diner scene, yeah. one at the very beginning, and then later on. Yes. And they're and both also, talking yeah. about the same same concept of, of sex, but now differently. Yeah, and also the in the commentary Rob Reiner was talking about like how the diner scene came out of the scene where Harry talks about on the plane, um, how men before you find the person that you really love, when you have sex with someone, that's the end of it for you and you're just ready to get out. And so he said to Nora Ephron, like, okay, we've told people something that they don't necessarily know about men. What is something that we don't know about women? And Nora Ephron was like, well, women fake orgasms. And Rob Reiner was like, well, never with me, which is literally what Harry says in the movie. And Nora Ephron and Rob Reiner called in a bunch of these like young female people working on the uh, film and they were like, who here has ever faked an orgasm? And like, they all raised their hands. And Rob Reiner was like, whoa! And they put it in the movie. Oh, and then you mentioned the television scene where like the Casablanca is playing on both screens and they're talking to one another. Mm -hmm. This is based on actually something that um, Rob Reiner and Billy Crystal used to do. Because they were very good friends and Billy Crystal was very much a collaborator on this movie. Um, and so they used to, when Rob Reiner was going through his divorce, which is one of the main reasons um, he made this movie. Because um, he wanted to see two people who had just ended like the most serious relationship of their lives coming together after that. Um, he and Billy would uh, be on the phone with one another and they would watch whatever was on TV and just talk to each other. So that's, that's based on their friendship. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at my notes here. I have some weird notes. I have Billy Crystal jog walking in leggings. The way he like swings his little hips around. Yeah, that's, that's a look. The fashion in this movie is a lot. There's so much uh, 80s, 80s going on, lots of, shoulders. lots of shoulder pads happening. Um, uh, Meg Ryan has a, a, a glorious perm in the latter half of the movie. 
But, like, for an 80s movie, other than the, like, fashion, mm -hmm. it wasn't very 80s. It feels very contemporary, yeah. I think. Aside from the, like, way the computers look. It doesn't have... Yeah, no, other than that, obviously. But that's, like, for the era. But it doesn't, like, feel like, you know, uh, watching The Terminator, for example, mm -hmm. where there's, like, the heavy, hard-hitting sense. Or, um, what's the one with Mel Gibson? Lethal Weapon. Mm -hmm. Lethal Weapon yes. is, like, the most 80s movie I've ever seen in my life. Lethal Weapon is very 80s. I have, I have to give you that. Yeah. But I don't think it's the most 80s movie well, I mean, I've seen. In your opinion, what's the most 80s movie? Okay, uh, he, you know, this is not the most 80s movie, but it's pretty up there in terms of 80s. But it, has, it wasn't released in the 80s, mm -hmm. and it's, it's Troll 2. Troll 2 oh is God. very 80s, but it's very bad 80s. Jesus but it's, like, very stylistic, and, like, it just... Troll 2 is a deeply bad movie. It is. It is one of the yeah. worst. It's not even it's one of the worst the 80s. It's kind yeah, of nice it's, the 80s. it sort of exists in its own sphere. No, but I mean, not like, influenced by human art. All the music and the and the the lighting and all that. It's very very eighties. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> also, I feel like Terminator is more eighties than. I've Lethal never Weapon. seen Terminator, so I can't judge. Yeah, Terminator is definitely, in my opinion, more eighties. Um, I think there's also another movie, Miami Connection, is also pretty good. That's wait, what? I don't think we're thinking about the same Miami Connection. No, I mean, as an eighties film, like in terms of eighties style. I'm pretty sure Miami's Connection is the bad cult movie no one or like no i know what it is i know it's a bad cult movie but it's it's a cult movie for so you're just reason. picking films that are bad to represent the 80s i mean they are what you know have like they have the how do i say highly stylized uh you know, I know. stuff yeah. from the 80s i think that oh one more oh. last one go ahead back to the future oh true and back to the future too very um, 80s films i think that this movie might not feel very 80s because it was made in 1989 um, and it feels very much, I think, like a precursor to the romantic movies of the 90s. Um, the stuff like everything Hugh Grant ever did in his career. Mm -hmm. um, other later on Nora Ephron movies. Like You've Got Mail. Like You've Got Mail. Which is just this, <laughs> but better. Um, and some of the uh, romantic movies of the early 2000s as well. I think this is very foundational for that. Yeah, I know. Uh, I could see like where a lot of the inspiration comes from, from a lot of romantic comedies yeah. afterwards. Like even, actually I think even up until now in the late yeah. 2010s. The Big some, Sick, the big uh, sick for is, example, yeah. owes a lot to exactly. Nora Ephron movies and Hugh Grant movies. Um, yeah. Anyway, let's let's get into it, y'all. Oh, have we not been into it? No, I don't We had a long 80s movie tangent. <laughs> I don't know where we are. Let's get back into it. Do we want to talk about like specific scenes and how they work? Do you guys want to talk about specific scenes? Well, I'm, I'm happy to talk I mentioned about them literally brief. any scene. I mentioned them briefly, but I think the ones that they most of them really work because they have some kind of they always have some kind of respectable element to them that's always noticeable. What do you mean like, by respectable? Like this scene right here, where it is now. We've seen this is the third sequence. Yeah, this is uh, they're having about dinner ten years on the lake. Now. And like this sequence is very clever because uh, Carrie Fisher got this Rolodex. Yes, I love the Rolodex people. scene. She's like, oh, she's married, or he's married, and she like puts a, that she folds the corner over as yeah. if it's already been like established. Um, rather than rather than throwing the card away, we know that Carrie Fisher is happy to sleep with a married man in this movie. Yes. Um, oh, this scene with the wave is so funny 
And it's funny, not in a laugh out loud way, but in that they're having this like incredibly serious conversation, conversation Bruno Kirby and uh, Billy Crystal um, are having this conversation about his divorce and how his wife has been cheating on him and don't fuck with Mr. Zero. And all this time they're forced to stand up and do the wave and it like slightly interrupts their conversation every time, um, which is something that is based on something that happened to Billy Crystal and Rob Reiner. That's actually one thing I really love about this movie, and it's something I keep bringing up, is like who worked on what and where jokes came from. Um, this movie feels like an amalgamation of experiences, um, both in its like formal construction, because we have many love stories being told to us from all of the little interviews, but also just in sort of the production history, because yes, Nora Ephron wrote the script, but um, she and Rob Reiner worked very closely on this movie. Um, she based a lot of... Uh, Harry's character on interviews with him and his friend, and then Billy Crystal came in and totally punched up the comedy um, and helped sort of make the movie funnier. And the orgasm scene, which I know we need to get to eventually, yeah. um, the uh, way it was originally written, it didn't have the orgasm in it, like her acting out the orgasm. And um, Meg Ryan was the one who was like, this scene would be funnier if I acted out an orgasm. Wait, so that was improvised? Or it wasn't was improvised, but so it wasn't it was in the like original it, script. It wasn't, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, do you guys want to talk about the diner scene? Yes. Uh, inarguably the most famous scene from this movie. Um, the I'll have, I'll have, I'll have what, what you she's have. having. That's great. That line is one of the <laughs> more well-known lines in movie history. It's one of the best lines in movie history. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, don't get me wrong. How do you guys? How do you guys feel about this scene? What's your What's your thoughts? It's good because I, I keep going back to it. Like on one note here, but it, it's the reoccurring ideas again, as in. My own, this is kind of meta because I keep going back to this idea. That's okay, that's the movie keeps going back to this idea. Yeah, so the idea of um, sex interfering with a relationship or whether or not you can, and in this case, that was the first um, conversation they had in the original diner um, back in the college 70s. when they're leaving from university, the, yeah, university. Chicago. They have that conversation, and then uh, later on, the conversations evolved. Like Billy Crystal, I think he says he he like openly admits that he had like he had back then he's like yeah no I was wrong yeah and then but he Billy Crystal in this movie Harry's got this really like kind of cocky attitude yeah he's very uh, not I don't know if sardonic's the word but not maybe sadistic he's like he's dark he's yeah. got he's got a dark side he's and got it's a like, dark look on society yeah like humanity. Pessimistic, I think. Yeah. Um, the fact that, like, he mentioned, like, guys wanting to get up right after sex. Yeah. And all these terse The thing about, that he like, reading true. the last page of a book just in case he dies before he able to finish it. Which he does it. Yeah, which even he when does. he gets older and he's supposed to have evolved, he still does it. Um, what was my train of thought? Your train of thought was... Uh, he's a dark person. He's a dark person. Um, he's got grim look, and then it takes someone like Meg Ryan to undercut these notions of him. Yeah, she's a very bright, shiny person in general. Which is, um, like, she does, like, the ordering thing where she's very <laughs> peculiar about everything she wants. Yes. And Harry's like, you're an uptight person that doesn't think you're uptight. Yeah. And you're the we worst We talked about the, the notion of high maintenance and low maintenance. And then, like, it takes, I guess, the, the diner scene that happens second on is, like, an undercutting of proving Harry's wrong. Yeah. It shows that she's maybe not as uptight as he thinks she is. I actually think one of the things that's really lovely about this movie is they start off um, being like all dark and all light and 
they sort of even each other out over the course of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. Like there's a, I like the sequence where um, they're just like doing things. They're going to dinner at a restaurant. She's like ordering and bothering the waiter. She's putting her mail in the mailbox and he's like he waiting for her and, and getting frustrated the and then he throws it all in. Yeah. And then like this kind of evolves later on. Like it's not even a verbal thing, but it's an internal thing that happens later on when they go into the Brookstone and he sees that his wife married, and then he has an existential crisis, and yeah. everything he's been saying... The Sharper Image store, you mean? Is it a Sharper Image? Yeah, it's a Sharper Image. They're all the same. Yeah. They're all selling garbage. Yeah, true. No one needs anything at a Brookstone <laughs> or a Sharper Image. Um, then he goes in there, and then he has like this existential crisis, and yeah. now... He yells his, at everyone. His perceptions are now flipped upside down. Yeah. And I think that's, that is one catalyst of change, but then it also keeps yeah. going on later on. It also shows you, I think, how their relationship has um, matured since they met. There's mm -hmm. this scene where they have this huge fight, and they say very hurtful things to one another. Um, and like immediately after that, he's like, I'm so sorry. Like he, he realizes that he fucked up, and he apologizes to her, and she forgives him. Um, and I, I do really love that scene. It feels very real in that way. Like, I think in a lesser movie, them having this fight would be, like, the breaking point, which the breaking point comes later, but um, it would be a much bigger thing than it is. But I think it's just a fight that you have when you're having a hard time and you're talking to the person you care about, you know? One thing that stood out to me is that yeah, it flows very well. Mm -hmm. And it is, it, it feels very realistic, as you said. That's a, it's a huge plus for this film. And I think for a lot of her scripts as well. Yeah. So they're very realistic. I, I mean, except for Sleepless in Seattle. A lot of her scripts, even yeah. Sleepless in Seattle, not the like plot of Sleepless in Seattle, but the dialogue in Sleepless yes, in Seattle. The dialogue. Like people just talking yeah, to one no, another. Yeah, no, it's very realistic. There's this scene I remember from Sleepless in Seattle, which I've admittedly only seen like maybe twice. Yeah. Um, I've seen it only once. And I wasn't a huge fan. This scene where Rob Reiner, who is a character in the movie actually, uh, is talking to Tom Hanks' character and they're just like having lunch in a diner. And I don't remember exactly what it was about that scene, but I remember thinking while I was watching it, like, this just sounds like people talking. Um, and that's like such a strength of her scripts, is she draws so much on her own experience and the experience of those around her. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, it's absolutely lovely. I keep calling this lovely, that's just, it's how I feel, I love it. It is a lovely film. <laughs> it is. Yeah, from start to finish. I mean, for most romantic comedies, they're usually pretty trash. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not denying that there's a lot of garbage in the romantic comedy genre. There's a lot of good stuff. There too. are some real gems, but they're they're in like a whole pile of shit. Mm-hmm. And like dramas is probably. I don't have the stats to back this up, but I would say dramas is probably more produced films. But those are probably more average. Yeah. Like romantic comedies are really polar. They're either like trash or they're good. Yeah. Same thing with that, horror. No, actually, that's not true. There's a lot of like mediocre is, romantic comedies. Yeah, there's a lot. They're of fine. Them. They're fine. They're not great. They're fine. I've uh, yeah, I never really like. I never. I mean, yeah, I've seen. I've seen a lot because it's one of my favorite genres. Actually, yeah, my for favorite. real. Uh, not my favorite, but one of very close to the top. And I, you know, from there's a lot of honorable mentions from like I think every year of uh, film there's like at least one really good uh, romantic comedy. But you always hear about the when you talk about like the worst films of the year. I feel like they're usually horror films or like romantic comedies. I think that's partially they're, because there are just so many romantic comedies that are made every year. There's like, also there aren't, comedies as well that are pretty bad. There aren't a ton. Even that like did. the middle one, the middle, the middle one's pretty bad. 
There aren't a ton that get like big theatrical releases, but I think that romantic comedies are pretty formulaic, so they're really easy to produce, especially if made for TV movies. Mm -hmm. Like Hallmark has one jillion of them a year. And we always like like trash all over them. Yeah, which is fair, but yeah, I think but I mean, that there are... Like, a lot of made-for-TV yeah. movies in general, yeah. you know. I think like, that there, there is this sort of negative perception of romantic comedies um, that I think they haven't gotten away from as much as like horror, for example. In the past few years, horror has yeah. become kind of an elevated genre. With romantic comedies, I think that it's hard for people to take them seriously as um, having cinematic value. Um, which and is a shame, because... It is a shame, and I think especially more modern romantic comedies. Like, I think it's... You can look at When Harry Met Sally, which was made 30 years ago, and be like, this is this film with cinematic value. Um, and people have. But I think more recent stuff, not so much. Um, my hope is that with new, very clever romantic comedies like The Big Sick, which I absolutely loved. Um, yeah, that was great. Hopefully there's going to be some sort of revival, like there has been for horror of the genre, and, and smarter romantic comedies will begin to be made again. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was, there was also like What Now, which also, which features the, the Zoe Kazan. And, uh, but I haven't seen it, but I do, I love Zoe Kazan. Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe. Yes. Oh, I didn't like that very much, actually. You didn't? No, I thought it was um, ambitious, but I think that it suffered from uh, Daniel Radcliffe's lack of chemistry with any woman. Um, <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> no offense to Daniel Radcliffe, he's a lovely actor in other genres, but I think he really is not great in romantic comedies because I don't, I don't buy it. Sierra's just like, he works better as a dead body. He works better as a dead body, it's true. <laughs> as in Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man is, is good. Honorable mention to that. Um, there's also, I think, uh, I, did, I liked sleeping with other people a little bit. You know, uh, was the one with like Will Arnett? No, uh, no it's no, the other no. man. Jason, the guy that was Jason Sudeikis. Bateman? No, no. no. Sudeikis. Um, he's, yeah, Sudeikis. And, uh, uh Alison Brie, right? Yeah, Alison Brie. Pretty good. There's also The Overnighters. That was a weird film, actually. I feel like Netflix these, going these, genres, these genres, I feel like, are just... Like, they're, these genres are so um, downtrodden with bad stuff. There's so much bad stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, I think you can really name you can name examples of good romantic comedies all day, but like mm -hmm. pound for pound, there are more bad romantic comedies than there are good ones. Yeah, I feel like that's the same for any genre, though. I don't think that's true. Like, you, like, like for any there genre. There is a reason why. Not for any, yeah, genre, not, not genre, like type of film, genre, like genre film. Yeah. There yeah. is a reason why all the Oscar nominations are always dramas. Yeah. Or period pieces because. Well, because those are more, considered not genre. Like, yeah, yeah. They don't like genre at all. Which is. Because genre has, I guess, in my viewpoint, genre has this, like, negative perception to it. Except for. you say for, horror. And like, this is my this is my point I was making earlier. In recent years, I think that's falling away because of a revival in some of these genres. Like yeah. Get Out was much lauded. Get Out, Hereditary. Hereditary has been much lauded. Uh, uh, the uh, A Quiet Place. Yeah. Um, there have been a lot of really like uh, more. I keep using this word, but more elevated um, horror films in the past few years that have gained. Like not to say there haven't been before that, but they've gained this recognition. And actually, not to keep talking about The Big Sick, but The Big Sick 2 was nominated for an Oscar, and won, I think, an Emmy. It was the uh, original screenplay, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but the, the... Or, not an Emmy, um, Golden, uh, Globe. Golden Globe, yeah. 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 Well, horror's having its renaissance, yes. romantic comedy. Right? One day, baby. You could say the romantic drama is like, you think about like, the theory of everything is a romance, but it's yeah. so common. Yeah. 
crap movie though. I haven't seen it. It's a I garbage like it. film. Trash. Not trashy. If, if I had if I had British to pick pieces. again, I would pick that. I just love trash British it. period pieces. Just a trash. No, I have no issues with period uh, British period pieces. Like Love and Friendship is a period piece. Uh, and Education's really good. Education's really good. Anything Keira Knightley's ever been in, pretty good. Almost. <laughs> not not <laughs> Most everything. Most things. Most things. But oh damn, another good. Uh, Sorry for name dropping good romantic uh, comedies. Kind of a romantic comedies, but Begin Again is great. I, it's fine. Come on, it's great. I liked it. And like I, Sing I'm, Street is I'm also biased really to like it because I love both Mark Ruffalo and Keira Knightley. But um, when it's I say fine. like Sing Street, uh, I think they're in Ireland. Yes. Yeah. So it's not British. Um, no, no, I yeah, wasn't talking about period the... pieces. Begin Again is not a period piece. It was just a Keira Knightley film. Yeah. Um, I'm talking. There's just so many, like Pride and Prejudice. Okay, I love Pride and Prejudice, man. There are, like, I'm gonna get shit on here because they, they are respectable British period pieces. Yeah, they're lovely. But I, when you present one to me, I'm like, cool. What's the runtime? Two and a half hours? Ooh, no. No thanks. It's probably super if I can just, If I can just plug the 2012 Keira Knightley Pride and Prejudice is also another one of my favorite films. I, I really love it. Um, oh, so there's, okay, how many are there? Because I know this like it's an old story and like it. How, you remember, How many Pride and Prejudices are there? Yeah, for films. There are three major ones. Um, one that was produced back back in the black and white times. Um, one from the BBC that's like five or six part miniseries that was produced in the eighties, I think. Um, the Keira Knightley one is the more recent. But then there's a bunch of like like obviously with stuff like Austen and classic literature, there's gonna be like a billion adaptations and like reinterpretations. Like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lost in Austin that. was like this mini series where this woman gets like transported into the story of Pride and Prejudice. Um, there's a lot out there. But I highly recommend the twenty twelve version. Remember when Which we were talking about when Harry met Sally? Those yeah, are, those are yeah, great let's, times. let's get back. <laughs> those are <laughs> <was> great times. <laughs> Let's get back to when Harry met Sally. I was trying to put into words as I was watching this film um, what it's about. <laughs> because obviously it's about when Harry and Sally and their friendship and their relationship. But more broadly, I was trying to figure out what it's saying about love. Um, and I think that what it is saying is that it's, it's really about not this grand love story necessarily, but about all of the little moments and the little details that add up to being in love with someone. Like Harry has this speech at the end where he runs to meet Sally on New Year's Eve. He has this speech where he talks about all the little things that he loves about her and how she gets cold when it's 75 degrees out and how she gets a little crinkle above her nose when she's looking at him like he's crazy and all of these, like the way she orders and all of these little things that we've seen or not seen throughout the film that add up to him being like, oh, this is a person I want to spend the rest of my life with. Um, the line he has uh, about when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible, is something that I think about all the time when it comes to romance and, and relationships. Um, that said, I just, on a personal tangent, this movie kind of screwed me up for <laughs> looking at my friendships with men for a while. Damn. Because um, I was always like looking uh, for the potential of romance, and I think that really like messed me up for a while in high school and early on in college. Um, and I like to think that I've grown out of that now, hopefully. But it was whack for a while, you guys. It was not great. Um, do you guys have any concluding thoughts about this film? Anything else you want to talk about? Uh, I rest my case yeah. I, without without sounding redundant. 
I think I've already said I've played my cards. Yeah, no, I, I, the only thing I want to say is that I like this movie a lot, but I like You've Got Mail more. That's it. That's the only, okay, the well, only Louis, thing you should take out of my back, When it comes back around to you and it's your turn again, <laughs> we, will, we will talk about You've Got Mail if you no, like no, to bring that we're gonna, to the table. We're probably going to pick uh, Theory of Everything so I can, <laughs> so I can relentlessly Just shit trash on it. that movie. Yeah. Because it's one of the worst things I've seen <laughs> and I don't know how it got any recognition at all. Okay. So bad. So <laughs> Um, that's about it on When Harry Met Sally. We'd love to hear you guys' thoughts. If you want to uh, get in contact with us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, we are we are out there. Um, and actually, the next podcast you hear will not just be the three of us talking. It'll be us and one of our members. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Be that member. Be that member. Yeah. Sign Join up. us. Um, <laughs> Talk about any movies. Weird movies appreciated. Because yeah. I'm always down to yeah. see a trip. You know, with... You know it's nice to talk about Inception, uh, but I but think not. <laughs> I, I, I would probably like to talk about the whole like moment. something like Steven Spielberg's artificial intelligence way more. Yeah, because that, that movie that's interesting. I think is a little underrated. Anyway, that's yeah. That's yeah. Thanks so much for listening to the Yudo podcast, and make sure you tune in again next week when we will discuss our next film. Thank you. Bye.